0: Mississippi Crop Situation Podcast featuring the Crop Doctors. Good afternoon from the Crop Doctors Podcast Studio in Stoneville. We have two special guests with us this afternoon, Mr. Jeff North and son North, John Hartley North.
1: Good to be here. Welcome to Stoneville, guys. Yes, sir. Thank you for the invitation.
2: Well, they've been here numerous times. They yeah. just didn't know where this was. And, in fact, we let them into the building, and one of them walked right in. The other one got lost.
0: Yeah, John,
2: John. <laughs> we'll, we'll let the listeners decide who got lost. John maybe
0: spent a little bit of time around here back in the day. And Jeff was on with us last year is what they tell me. I thought it was two years ago, but Tom and Jeff both said it was last year, so I'll take their word for it. And we talked about the MACA in general, which is the, the Mississippi Agricultural Consultants Association. So if you are interested in that, Jeff laid out the history of it and requirements and things like that. It's really cool talk uh, that we did last year. So scroll back through and you can find that. And But today we're just going to talk about ag consultant in general and then just a rare opportunity to talk to two generations of ag consultants too. So really looking forward to it. Before we start, I've known both y'all for uh, quite a while now, so I'd be curious to know arm wrestling contest, father and son, who takes the belt. He's got me with
1: the muscle part of it, but uh, the brain, I don't know. I think I can hang with him on that a little bit. You're going to kick him Jeff, in the shin?
0: Jeff's wiry would probably fight dirty.
3: <laughs> I'm, I'm a lot dirtier than him.
0: <laughs> no contest,
1: then. No contest on that.
0: Okay. Deer hunting contest.
1: He's, oh, I, he's got me on that. <laughs> and I also have him about fifty years in hunting it too like that. So maybe not quite. Maybe not quite. So um uh, but he started young, just like he did in the pickup back in the cotton fields. I remember strapping him in the in the car seat still. He was still in the field, but starting at about three or four years old he made many, <laughs> many a many a trip with us.
0: So you're young enough to have required a car seat, huh? <laughs>
1: <laughs> but I wasn't in it. <laughs> I was most of the time bugging
3: his scouts. He'd always get on to me for pulling ears and hair, and I'd be in the back seat bothering everybody.
1: <laughs> and don't let a box turtle cross the road, Speedy. We had to stop. We had a whole back, the whole bed of the truck full of box turtles one afternoon. We just riding every one we saw. We collected, Throw it
0: in the bed of the truck.
1: <laughs> in the bed of the truck, Speedy.
0: So Jeff, how long you been? in the business of ag consultant? You told us last year, but I don't remember.
1: Uh, my first first crop, uh, I was working with Extension. I was not a licensed consultant. My first crop I started scouting was 1978. I was a sophomore in college. And then as a licensed consultant, 81, a senior, year, you graduated and took the, took the exam with Bureau of Planning Industry. So my first uh, licensed crop was in 81, even though I was – Starting grad school, then I still have my license. So that's forty-five years total crops and uh, forty-one of uh, license consulting.
0: Have you checked cotton every year? Has there been a year where you hadn't had any cotton?
1: There's never been a year without any cotton. There might not might not have been much, but right. there's always been a crop of cotton somewhere.
0: I vaguely remember asking you this
1: last year. When did the corn and beans become a big part of your business? Two thousand four. In the cotton industry, we started losing gin, started losing infrastructure, price, uh, cotton prices plummeted. And and that's when a lot of consultants were at the lick log. They We didn't know, could we make a living in grain? You know, it was all cotton back in the day. I mean, what, 1.6 million acres in the peak? Um, I think that's right. And yeah. then like 300, 380,000, I think, are more, more recent acres for 2023. So we didn't know if we would make a living in soybean consulting, corn consulting, rice consulting, grain sorghum. But mother, what is it? What's the old cliche, the uh, necessity is the mother, the mother of that's invention. That's right. And you you find a way, you find your way, you figure out, you know, a niche. And of course, there are ongoing pest problems, weed weed problems. No matter what we're growing right now, there will be a need for a consultant somewhere.
0: So did that diversification in crops also bring the diversification in services that you provide too.
1: Absolutely, uh, especially from the standpoint of being more in tune with the weed control, plant pathology. Everything's on our radar list now, and who knows what what it will be. Fertility, everything's on the radar list. It's a total production plan. It takes it all. It used to be, for lack of better words, buck checking in uh, in cotton, and we've evolved to where a total management plan. So well,
2: y'all have had to learn just a tremendous amount to. Compensate for that particular shift in in acres and everything else, and then with the changing just climate and agriculture, that's that's been a it's been a pretty heavy expectation.
1: And and it changes um, every year. I mean, even John Harley. I mean, he's he's seen it in his in his tenure now. I can't believe that he has many years under his belt as he does already.
0: Speaking of that, John Harley, we kind of alluded to you having been around Stoneville a little bit. So why don't you? Tell folks that are listening kind of what your background is and how you ended up where you're at now.
3: Started out at a young age just riding with my dad while he was consulting. Kind of when Cotton Acres went down, I was still lucky enough to be around it. Dad kind of backtracked a little bit and started working for a mosquito company and that kind of thing, but was still involved with crops. And I got to learn kind of under him and some of his scouts that kind of took over some of his acres whenever he switched jobs and I was just scouting in the summertime and then that kind of led more to being up at state starting college and was lucky enough to get on with Angus and Gore at a young age in undergrad being a student worker and then kind of made the decision to go on after I graduated went and got my master's and phd in entomology same under Angus and Jeff Gore. I really didn't know where I wanted to be I was lucky enough to kind of still be around consulting and working for a few consultants in the Delta, uh, Haley Easley and Bruce Pittman, while still finishing my work at Startville with my PhD, and just kind of got lucky and got an in in the business, and then started consulting, ran, you know, opened up my own business, North Entomological, and started in 2018, and now it's 2023, so technically being a licensed consultant with my company. This is I'll be working on my sixth year next year. And never thought I would ever get to do it. I've kinda had the plan to once I got my PhD to hitch up with a company and kinda go the corporate route and just like dad said, you just kind of find a way to make it work. And I really wanted to consult and be kinda on the front lines with producers and helping them be more profitable by the acre and just made it work and i had to do a few other jobs too to kind of pull the pull the
1: up until i got the acres but here we are <laughs> i got to tell you a funny story about his <clears throat> his grad work and i told him i said whatever you want to do i support you in you know you get your undergrad degree i said you're going to get your masters i said you're going to get that you don't have a choice in that i said now after that i'll you know that's up to you what you want to do after that so all I heard for two and a half years through his master's studies were how much I hate this. I can't stand this. I am so sick of this. <laughs> I said, You're almost done. Just get through with it and then you'll make your mind up. So I never will forget we're riding in the turn row, looking at beans in mid late August one day. He's riding with me on a Saturday. And uh he just says, I got something I need to talk to you about. I just look over at him and I said, What's up? He said, I'm thinking about getting my PhD. I just stopped the truck. I said, are you kidding me? I said, don't get me wrong. I fully support you in your decision, but all I have heard for two and a half years is how much you hate this. And the long story long, it went into job opportunity with another grad student, with had his PhD, uh, competing against two masters candidates, and the PhD candidate at that time. This was years ago. Got the position in industry. And the two master's candidates, though fully qualified, didn't get it. And he said, I, I think I'm better off to do it. So that's kind of a funny story how he did that.
2: The good news is, is if Angus doesn't know that story, he doesn't generally listen to the podcast. So I don't think you'll be you, – yeah, you don't no. need to be fearful of him learning <laughs> anything from this. Maybe he's changed that general Ang- approach Angus. to the podcast at this point.
3: What's funny is when I started my business, so when I I graduated in – 2019 with my PhD and I had been crop checking running my own business for a year or so but my very first year crop checking we had the record flood down south everything flooded lost big portion of my income and so just kind of worked through it you know doing different things still you know I I was lucky enough to have some territory up around Greenwood Indianola area you know reset everything the next year i said you know we'll we'll get back on track after this year it happens again stayed flooded for 2 years so lose a big portion of my income for 2 years in a row just getting out of school trying to run a business and so i said well we'll just work through it again just and so my 3rd year out everything's good back south but that's when we get 15 inches of rain in greenwood so all my crop floods out in greenwood so i'm back to square one and I came home one day and I said, Dad, I said, I don't know how much more I can take about this. I said, golly, it's killing me. And uh, But that's the biggest thing is you just you find out a way to make things work. And if it's something that you're really passionate about doing and really want to do, you're going to figure it out. And, you know, thank God we hadn't had any kind of natural disasters the last couple of years. We've had some droughts and that kind of thing, but nothing to the extent of whenever I first got into the business, basically three record floods, two in the South Delta, one up around Greenwood, you know, where all the Yazoo backed out and Sunflower Rivers backed out. And uh, so I was lucky enough just to have a wide range of territory because when you're young, you'll travel 300 miles to go check someone's crop. I mean, you're just trying to make you're it hungry. That's you're right. hungry. <laughs> and so fortunate for me is I've, I've had such a wide range and territory of acres that it really helped me a lot. And that's, that's the biggest thing. I mean, I get to kind of see different landscapes. I mean, it's, it's way different South Delta, a lot more tree lines. I would say insect pressure is a little bit worse uh, versus kind of, as you come up further towards Cleveland, sunflower, you know, not as many wood lines, that kind of thing, just more of a monoculture wide range Furry, irrigated ground with no trees in sight. It's just, I get to see it all, from weed pressure to insect pressure, disease, everything. So, So
0: Are all your acres in the Delta, John?
3: The majority of my acres are in the Delta, but I still do a lot of uh, checking in the hills, or what we call hills, but around, you know, eastern, central part of the state. I would say along the I-55 corridor, uh, some of it a little east, like around Pickens, Rankin County, Madison County, and then I have a lot more towards Sunflower, Lafleur, uh, Itzaquena, Yazoo. So I just I basically cover a, I would say a 250 mile radius, basically from Shaw to Greenwood through Yazoo City over to Holly Bluff area. You get to see a lot more landscape and deal with a lot more different various insect pressures just being in that wide range of landscape.
0: So aside from the, just the difference in the terrain and then the the difference in the insect pressure that you mentioned, what else is the big difference between those two landscapes in the state delta versus the I would say non-delta?
3: When you kind of get more into the heart of the delta, irrigated ground, that kind of thing, there's different ways to treat. Different crops. You've got to take a lot into account versus whether you're on dry land, irrigated. A lot of times I find a real fine, happy medium because, and I'll be honest, back 30, 40 years ago, a lot of these older consultants, they when they dealt with the boll weevil.
0: That's you, Jeff.
3: That's me. You know, all mean. the boll weevil and the budworm, <laughs> it was spray, 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 spray on a four or five day schedule. And You know, I always pick at Dad and Bruce and even Tucker. Back in the day, I said, well, that's when bug checking was the easiest. I said, it was just spray, 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 spray. (laughs) I mean, that's easy. Every four days, we're spraying. You know, now, as we get on further into the younger generation of consultants, that's when we're trying to find a fine line on these farms to be profitable, you know, managing every acre, trying to be as cheap, cheap, cheap as we can, but also being the most profitable and just trying to find that real fine line Growing up when I was younger, being around dry land acres and that kind of thing, we would have to watch the rain and that kind of thing. And we couldn't let the bugs or the weeds take over or anything like that, but we were still trying to find that fine line to where we were going to be more profitable and trying to catch rains and then try to find that happy medium on being profitable versus where we can irrigate, that kind of thing. You know, we're going to have a lot more inputs in that because we can really push those yields and, and compensate for you know, being on irrigated ground, a lot of the Delta ground up around, you know, Yazoo River, Sunflower River, real fertile ground, doesn't get any better than Deer Creek. So a lot of that you take into account, okay, we can really maximize potential here versus, you know, somewhere where we're a little bit heavier ground, maybe dry land, something like that. You just, you learn to kind of Deal with the kind of ground you're
1: on and try to be the most profitable from insect disease, weed pressure, uh, everything. I'll, t- I'll tell you something comical, and, and I'm gonna ask him a question, and I'm not sure. I think I know the answer, but have you ever seen a boll weevil in the field? I have. You have. I couldn't remember <laughs> if that was before boll weevil era when you were you know riding some with us, but I do remember this about seven or eight years ago. I found a cucumber seed. And I pulled it, and I handed it to him. Well, it's been longer than that. It's been way back. And I said, you know what this is? And he said, I don't. So that just shows the difference in how pests have weeds, how insects have evolved. That The problems that we incurred so many years ago, these younger consultants have never seen it. Never seen it. And, <clears> uh, but I could not remember if you saw boll weevils or not.
3: Mm, um, I would have I been four or five. <laughs> <You
0: know? laughs> I one. tell you aside from pigweeds I have cut more cuckleburs with a hoe than anything else and, and naturally hadn't in a long long time but here at Stoneville just a few years ago I don't remember what year it was but I was, I was walking across our field down on the low end and there was a little plant growing up and I noticed it like man what is that and it one of those things I didn't recognize it and it bugged me and it bugged me and it It's probably an hour or so it goes by and then it occurred to me that it was a cucklebur
1: I was that, like, man, that's, that's wild. That's crazy that, that is as wild. many
0: as many cocoa burrs that I as I had whacked with a hoe back in growing the day. up that I didn't even recognize. <laughs> that the is
2: thing wild. These these young folks would have to go a long way to run across some. You get to some places in the state where the river backs up. I mean yeah, we always you have that conversation. Levee, yep. You get yes. down there around Natchez in some areas, the other side of the levee, and you'll run across it.
1: You with, know what I really enjoy is observing now that a lot of times John'll go in one direction in the truck and I'll go another direction and we may circle, we may meet, but we're on the phone back and forth. And then there are times when we'll go in one truck. We'll ride together. But I learn as much from him as hopefully he learned from me at some time with the new technology and the progression of these younger entomologists, younger weed scientists, younger plant pathologists that they're exposed to through not just education but experience too, different from what what I observe. But I really enjoy asking him questions now. Also, and funny, we were riding one day in um, in the truck together, and he had his hand drooped over the steering wheel like a dish rag on a faucet, a wet dish rag <laughs> on a faucet. And I'm in the passenger side. I'm looking out, and we're going down the edge of cotton field and turn row
3: does he ever let you drive
1: uh oh absolutely he likes to burn my gas and uh
3: i said we were gonna burn company gas today
1: (laughs) (laughs) so so we're driving down the turn row and i'm looking out the window i said you need to get some more picks on that cotton and he never looked up never looked over at me he said i know what i'm doing (laughs) and let it go And,
3: and believe me when we ride together it's a whole lot more fighting and and nitpicking than it is anything else
0: i can imagine the acres you check, most of those are in the hills, right?
1: Uh, not necessarily. Um, some are both, and and I worked more for him. Okay, now than yeah. I didn't. I,
0: yeah. I wasn't sure how y'all were. Yeah, set up. I, doing I'm not that. in
1: the field seven days a week, day like the dark like he is. But you know, a day in the week and all on the weekends, of course. And uh, and at some point in the somewhat near future, that may change. You know, to to get more back into it every day with that too. But uh, with the medical entomology part of the business, you know, that's that goes more with uh, during the weekdays like that too. It's um very valuable and it's rewarding to see this younger generation and what they're. Uh, able to accomplish now. Uh, I've got, I've got a lot of trust in in agriculture with this younger generation coming up.
2: Well, especially since we kind of need to start adding some of those younger pieces because you look around the ag consultants that are still active in this state and y'all aren't getting any younger and we need to add some more young faces and I, I think that's positive that you've gone into this profession because there are not a lot of people that that do that. And there are a lot of reasons for that. You know, some of the some of the chemical company alternatives may be a little bit more lucrative or seem like they would be more lucrative. But at the end of the day, I think staying home and, and doing this type of work is beneficial. Right.
0: Well, I noticed when we did the MACA roundtable this morning with, with y'all's board of directors, you know, there's a group of y'all that are, in our world, pretty young guys that are involved in the, the management of the MACA as an organization. So I I commend you all for that. Mm-hmm. That's a good way to get involved and then you learn the process so when we're all gone, you all can carry on with the way things right. have been done. Jeff, one thing I thought of when I asked earlier about, you know, your services changing over the years, do you find it more rewarding that you do offer more of a crop management service rather than strictly, and it doesn't have to be entomology. If you were just strictly doing soil sampling and and fertilizer recommendations, it'd be kind of the same thing. But offering a broad spectrum of services, do you find that more rewarding for you to offer that to your customers than just a single service?
1: Well, it's more rewarding in the fact that you have more participation in all the decision-making processes because... I'm not saying someone else may have made a poor decision, but if you're right, and you're depending on someone else for another recommendation, and it doesn't go that way, then the whole production system, the crop, can be compromised. But when you're involved with the grower, rather, what, no matter what input it is, what management decision it is, you're just a lot more part of the integral uh, production system
3: that's the best way to do it and especially like i know years ago we we were so limited to technologies and stuff well now we've got everything in the book it seems like and so i love being involved with weed control fertility disease management insect i mean we're getting even more in debt now with different plant populations on different soil types i mean it's a whole wide range of stuff And that's what's so neat for me to be involved in it too because one thing that I'm extremely fortunate and I tell people this all the time and this will kind of go back towards you know with these younger guys consulting we also got a lot of young producers out there too and that's going to be the ones carrying the torch. And I'm extremely fortunate to where 90 percent of my growers are younger than me. I've been lucky and fortunate and, and still worked hard but I've kind of fallen into a deal to where a lot of my clients are younger than me, and and count on me. I mean, any kind of decision made on a farm, they call me. Now they, they still talk to their reps and the dealers and that kind of thing, but when it comes down to a big decision, they call me, and that that means a lot to me. And that that also, you know, carries me to keep keep learning, keep driving, you know, keep working hard. But as far as being involved in every single decision on a farm, there's there's a lot. There's a lot that goes with that, too. It's a high-pressure job, but, you know, a lot of these guys, even consultants, producers, I mean, it's a stressful job, but a lot of these guys really perform well in high-stress situations. I mean, I love being on the spot, making a call, you know, and then whenever it works out, there's no better feeling. Very, very rarely do things go wrong, but, of course, in being in this environment, especially down here in the Mid-South where we've got so many variables, whether it's weather, different things like that. Every year is different. You know, we're, we're going to have mistakes in the field and that kind of thing. But the biggest part of it is don't panic. We can figure it out. Anything can be figured out. And that's the biggest part is, okay, well, this went wrong or this went wrong. Let's, let's go ahead and fix it before it does become a problem. <laughs> To where we're not profitable.
2: And none of y'all are shy. So if you know you need something answered, you tend to pick up the phone and call with those pressing questions. That's right. And and we all work together really closely to make some of those decisions because sometimes they're not necessarily real easy.
1: You know, a lot of growers, they can't be objective. They can't look at their own crop. They they can't consult their own crop because they don't do it objectively. They'll let emotions um, get involved with looking at their crop. If money's getting tight toward the end of the season, they may or may not make a a management decision they think should or should not do. And I find this even with John Hartley, it's always good to get another opinion and I'll be looking at a field, and I'll call him. I'll say, you coming by a certain field, X, or whatever? He said, yeah, I'll be back through there in an hour or two. I said, pull in there and look at that for me and see what you think, too. And I would have already looked at it. He'd done it in Sandhill. I said, stop in that field at Sandhill and look at that and tell me. He'll call me to to either reaffirm or make a go a different direction with the decision You know that I've been thinking about, but – I like the objectivity of, of two people looking at something like that. When he's looking at it, too, and um, it, it reaffirms the fact, like, hey, I got it right. It looks good, or and it gives us some more uh, options to look at and talk about. The objectivity part of it, a grower can't look at his own crop.
0: You know? Well, depending on what the issue is with the crop, a lot of times they're just too close to it. You drive by it dozen times a day, and it's, it doesn't stand out to you, whatever whatever they're looking at doesn't stand out can't to you. can't see the like forest for the trees. That's right, like it would yeah. if you're only seeing it you know, once or twice
3: a week. Right. And that's another big thing. We're custom hire for the producer. We're there solely for the producer to make him more profitable. If a lot of times I'll loop through a field and feel confident about everything. Well, if I'm riding back by it two days later, I'll stop back in there and look at it again and won't even talk to the farm or anything like that. I'm just always around watching that crop. I mean, in cotton, I check twice a week. Corn and beans, I check once a week. But if I got to double back and look at a a bean crop just for whatever reason, whether I see something on the leaves or whether it's loopers or, or anything like that, I'll check it three days a week if I have to. I mean, I just, I'm always thinking even when I leave that farm, I'm still thinking about that farm. And even late at night and stuff, I mean, you just stay up thinking about it until the crop's done.
0: Jeff, what would you tell a young guy that thinks he wants to be a ad consultant?
1: Be passionate about it, uh, number one. Work, get up early in the morning, work hard. Uh, I don't care what profession you're in. If you're the best at what you do, you'll be successful. But be passionate about it. Reach, reach out to um, other resources. Always look for um, – Information, whether it's through research, through extension, use your resource, older consultants, and, and file that in your memory bank. File that. That's a book of knowledge. It's a, mem- it's a, it's a vast resource of knowledge out there that's available for you. And take advantage of everything like that. Ask questions. Go to meetings. Ask questions. And study. And continue to read. When your formal education is over with your education is just beginning.
0: What about you, John Harley? What would you tell a guy that wouldn't be too many years behind you, but doesn't have the years under his belt that you already do?
3: Biggest thing is for me, especially, you know, being new into the business and that kind of thing is basically you've got to have honesty and you've got to, you can't take any shortcuts. You might have a block or something like that that you know is nothing going in and, and might be easy to ride on by it, and just that little fraction in the back of your mind, you say, saying, no, I ain't going to do it. You've got to be looking at everything you're supposed to be looking at, no shortcuts, anything like that, and solely there for the producer. And, and that's the biggest thing with us, especially in the MACA, is we're independent, non-biased consultants. Any kind of rec we give... We're not profited from it. Basically, what we profit from is our farmers being profitable and making the most that they can make. You know, that's, that's what makes us look good. It's solely there for the producer. Now, you're part of a tool on his farm, but when it comes down to it, it's all about your clients, and that's it, and, and make, making them the most profitable income they can make on an acre basis.
1: I know there's no vacation in the summertime. Uh, I get criticized all the time. My wife would say, what are we doing for July 4th? You know, we're going to the lake, we're going to cook out. I said, I'm going I'm looking at crops. And everybody said, you got to take off on the 4th. I said, if you can tell the bugs to quit eating and the weeds to quit growing, I'll take off. And I know that's not
2: happening. Gentlemen, Thank you. We really appreciate you all sitting down and taking some time with us. I mean, it's definitely important. It's great to see two generations in here together and having that conversation. I think that's that's pretty powerful.
1: Well, thank you for all you do for us, too, and we do not take this for granted.
3: And we couldn't do it without you all. So.
1: Well, we certainly appreciate we, that, y'all.
2: Thank you. We appreciate it, y'all.
3: The Mississippi Crop
0: Situation Podcast is a production of Mississippi State University Extension.